Geez, I wonder why nine o'clock is packed. <laughs> Did that not just feel great today? Uh, shouldn't we, should we do this every week? It, I, I'm about it. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. I, I feel fantastic. I, I mean, I got more sleep than I've gotten in days. I don't know about you. Um, but it was a wonderful thing. And, uh, and today we kind of, kind of a weird topic that we're going into. Something vital to your spiritual health that no one ever talks about. Well, I want to talk about it. And uh, I want to share something of my own experience with you, um, both personally and as a professional church worker, in terms of what I've seen in this thing called spiritual health. My experience has been that, that every single believer I've met, including myself, has these points where God seems to jettison you by a quantum leap to some kind of deeper level into him. However, what I've also seen is that at some point, that level plateaus. And so there comes a point in every single believer's life, and I would say by extension, every church's life, every community's life, where a certain ceiling keeps us from going farther, and, and, and whether it's out of a sense of comfort or whether it's out of a sense of something else, we just kind of stop growing. And the implications of this can take on many features. For some people, it just turns into kind of doing church, doing life, doing God in a status quo sort of way. For other people, for a long time, everything might feel really good. Except, in retrospect, they notice that my faith feels kind of flatlined. You know? Or that God just doesn't hold the same mystery or the same energy or the same interest to me that he did once upon a time. I've seen others still who come to a point where, where it turns more into a sense of disillusionment. Walking away going, well, I guess this is all there is, or I guess this is what it's going to be. I, I guess this is my lot in life, and it's, it's okay. But what inevitably is happening is that this plateau is coming along and keeping us from that continual deeper and higher, deeper and higher that God calls you and I into. Are you with me? Now, I found that people go about trying to seek the resolution to this plateau in good ways with wrong approaches, with, with good motivation, but possibly and often hooking on to the wrong ideas. I've seen the same thing happen in churches. A sense that something isn't quite the way it's supposed to be. That God seems to be calling us to something deeper or, or, or better, but what we don't really know what it is. We can't put our finger on it. Have you been there? I have in my personal life. And we start looking, and oftentimes the search turns into things like this. If only I heard more inspirational messages. If only the music was better because it doesn't quite stir me the same way. If only I could find that one new resource that they have on the market right now. You know what I mean? That book that, that's going to speak to my soul and be the answer to it all and lay it out in, in five purpose-driven steps or, or something like that. And these fads come and these fads go and they seem to do it for a while, right? It's almost like a spiritual narcotic of sorts. For four months, maybe even six months, we get on a new trajectory. There's a new, in, you know, in, in kind of in, indwelling hope. But then suddenly it stops delivering. And we know that there's something going on, but, but we can't really figure out what is this piece that is missing to my spiritual health 
that I can't just seem to grasp onto. I think this one thing that I want to share with you here in a moment that no one ever talks about, that no one likes to broach, is, is, is simultaneously staring us in the face and yet can be so elusive. Because I found that without it, no matter how emotionally filled you get by the music you're listening to, no matter how many inspirational messages or devotionals you read, no matter how great the coffee at the church you're attending, your spiritual life will never get beyond a certain ceilinged plateau. And I'd like to share what that is with you here today. It's unpopular. We don't like it. I don't like it. Maybe you like it. Hopefully you like it. Good news if you do. Here it is. Authority. It is something that I think is absolutely absent in the Christian experience as we know it today. Spiritual authority. And my question to you this morning, who is exercising spiritual authority over your life? And simultaneously, to what positions of authority are you being called to, despite the fact that you might have placed them on some kind of back burner? Now, central to the Bible is this idea, this idea of, of sin and grace in righteousness. It, it seems to be what God is concerned about. Sin in grace and righteousness and the cycle of how it dwells and works inside a, inside a believer. Now, this gets framed in, in a number of different ways through the Bible. It doesn't always use the same term. Sometimes it calls it love. Sometimes it calls it faith. Sometimes it calls it abiding or remaining in Christ. Sometimes it calls it repentance, and, and it uses a host of other words as well. But all these words are really just trying to get down to the fact of dealing with sin, realizing God's grace, and his call to righteousness. And you know what I've come to find? Is that it is so easy to replace the quest for holiness and the quest and thirst for righteousness over here and to fixate on the easier things like the quality of the inspirational moment. The next greatest thing to show me insight the secret thing I didn't know that's going to breathe into me when all the while God is saying sin, grace, righteousness. Sin, grace, righteousness. Now there's a passage I want to share with you today. It comes out of Matthew 16, and this is what it says. I tell you that you are Peter, and you might be saying, but I'm not Peter. I'm telling you that you are. Okay? You are Peter. If you're Peter, raise your hand. Very good. All right. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Interesting. The way that Jesus frames the church, you, Peter, is not as something defensive, but something offensive. Not as something weaker, but something stronger. Not as something impotent, but as something more powerful than the forces at work against you. Do you see that? Think about it. What's a gate? 
A gate is something you close to keep the bad guys out, right? Who has the gate? Hell. Which means who wears the big boot to kick in the gate? The church. Peter. You. And he goes on to describe what this, this, this spiritual power looks like. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I give you the keys to the gate. <laughs> you can kick gates, the gates of hell in, but here's the keys to heaven as well. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, does that just make you feel yucky all over? And I don't know a better way of putting it. It is so just like kind of stir a little bit uncomfortable that God comes to each of you and says, I give you the keys of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Do you want that kind of responsibility? Do you want that kind of authority? But I'm here to tell you today that the thing that's vital to your spiritual health that no one ever talks about is a manifestation of this authority right here. Paul writes to this church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, he says this to them. He writes, We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So you are Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through you. Now, what's an ambassador? Well, we, we could think of maybe a persona, we could think of like a character, but ambassador is basically this, isn't it? It's someone who is given authority to speak on behalf of the government, the agency, the king, or whoever that has sent them as they are deployed into a foreign land. Now, Jesus comes to you and me, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Go out into the world. Go out into where hell's gates remain and make disciples. Go on my behalf, but not just as a spokesman, not just as a teacher, not just as an evangelist, but as an ambassador. What does it mean to think about yourself as an ambassador of Christ? And what does it mean if you do think about yourself as an ambassador of Christ to say, God has given me authority to speak authoritatively on his behalf. Are you speaking authoritatively on God's behalf? And what might that look like? And is someone speaking authoritatively on God's behalf into you? Because I'll tell you, in my own personal experience and in my time in church work, I have found that without that, your spiritual health will flatline. And here's the basic reason why. I mean, just think about it, right? Because I'm a sinful wretch. And so are you. So is that girl over there. We all are, right? Which means when it comes to the subject of repentance, sin, grace, and righteousness, all of us have an inclination to do a few things, don't we? When faced with the call of holiness before us, when faced with the sin in our lives, when faced with the choice between God and the other things in the world, it's easy to rationalize, isn't it? 
It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy to get confused, isn't it? It's easy to just do what we want sometimes, even when we know better, isn't it? Than what we know God is calling us to do. All of us are called to have spiritual authority in our lives, which means all of us are supposed to have spiritual accountability in our lives. And without that spiritual authority and without that spiritual accountability, all of us will flatline. And by you and I forsaking the spiritual authority that we're called to as the church in other people's lives, they will flatline too. Let me ask you again, who is the spiritual authority breathing into your life? And to whom are you called to a place of spiritual authority with? You know, I've, I've found it's so, it's so much easier to confess your sins or, or to look at someone and say, I'm sorry, or, or to go to God, isn't it? And, and say, Lord, I'm sorry, or, or hey, dude, I messed up, you know, forgive me, isn't it? Then to have someone come and do that to me, and then to look at them and say, I forgive you. Have you ever had these moments? Someone hurts you, or, or they let you down, or whatever it happens to be. And it kind of comes between you for a while. And there's some kind of reconciliation repentance that happens, right? They come to you maybe in some kind of sense, like, you know what, I am, I am so sorry. I can't believe that I blew you off or, or whatever it happens to be. And, and, and what's our natural tendency always to do? That's okay, right? I don't worry about it. Right? We want to dismiss the other side of what is being given to us. I would rather say I'm sorry 10 days out of the week than have to say I forgive you. And yet I look at this passage by Jesus where he says, we have been given authority to speak on his behalf to bind and to loose. And I look at a world and a people and in a church today where people are starving and parched for forgiveness and assurance. And I wonder so deeply what role exercising this has to play. Who is breathing spiritual authority into your life? And to whom are you called to have a spiritual authority over? The problem with it is it gets so hard. Because as soon as you start talking this way and thinking this way, all kinds of like nasty little scenarios start coming up, don't they? Well, well, what if the person is just full of themselves and, 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 and they're doing it wrong? Wait, wait, what if they say, I'm not going to forgive you because they don't feel like forgiving me even though Jesus wants them to forgive me? What happens to me then? What happens for those like five people in every church that always kind of want to be like, you know, spiritual cop? You know what I mean? And they're kind of like going around, yeah, see, that's in their flash. And we run and we balk at things like that. But I want to submit to you that when Christ calls us to be a priesthood of all believers, the solution to those nasty scenarios I've offered is not to go the other way and become a priesthood of no believers, if you understand what I mean. Because God calls us to so much more than to just feel good. And God's role in our life is to do so much more than to make us feel good. God wants us to be good. And being good only starts to develop when people begin to practice this thing called spiritual authority. 
I ran this group. I do it every year. It's called the 300 group. Don't ask me why. We could talk later if you're interested in the name. Basically what it is, it's, it's about 8 to 12 people where we meet every week, and what we do is we try to go deep into Christ and deep into each other in a highly intentional way. The point of the group is just simply to say, if we were to intentionally pursue Christ together in a way in which we hold each other accountable, will we be better believers by the end of the day? Now there's an exercise that we do is part of this every year, and it simply goes like this. Two people are asked to go into a room. And after some trust has been developed, they're asked to pray for each other and to start praying with each other. And as part of this time of prayer, what goes on is there's a certain sense of confession that starts to take place. The challenge is simply this. Going to someone you trust and going to someone where you know it's going to stay here, can you bear your soul to them before God about the things you're struggling with? the things you're dealing with, the sins that seem to dominate you, the failures that just keep heaping up and heaping up no matter how many times you wash them away. I don't need to show a hands on this. Please, when I do this, I'm not asking that. But do you have someone like that in your life? Because if you don't, as frightening as it is at the surface, I am here to tell you, it is the most amazing, cathartic, empowering experience to be able to do that in the presence of another than you could possibly imagine. And so we go through this practice and the people do it. Saying, Lord, here's my sin. Lord, I want your grace. Lord, make me righteous. Lord, that I can pursue it again today. And to have that other person there listening, who you know you have to go back to the next week, Who's going to ask you the question, so so how to go? How to go through that? But to know that they're cheering you on, I tell you, without spiritual authority and accountability, spiritual life flatlines. But just when they start thinking in this group that it gets bad enough, then the real kicker comes out. Because then after this exercise goes on, what they're told to do is to look at that person, to look him right in the eye, and say simply this, by the authority and command of Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of Jesus who died for you, I'm here to tell you, your sins are forgiven. As one who has been sent to speak on Christ's behalf, hear his words to you in mine. I forgive you. I know people who have tortured themselves their entire lives, yearning to hear the words, I forgive you. Knowing that the Bible says that this forgiveness is true, but desperately wanting to hear Jesus speak into their soul, I forgive you. And to be there for them week after week, step after step of the way, calling them to righteousness, walking beside them in repentance, speaking forgiveness. The more I read the New Testament, the more I become convinced it is central to what the Christian experience is all about. And to put that aside is to put spiritual vitality on a shelf 
no matter how many Bible degrees you get, no matter how many hours a day you listen to great worship music, no matter how emotional an experience you can concoct, without spiritual authority and accountability, the Christian life kind of goes nowhere. So let me ask you again today, who is breathing spiritual authority into your life? And to whom is God calling you to a place of spiritual authority with? And if your answer today is no one, or I don't know, none of this is to kick you in the teeth, but it is to say, pray to find that person today. This, this is why like, small groups are so important and why we do them. This is what these discipleship ministries are all supposed to be about. This is what happens on these leadership teams, looking for believers to come together to do as Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, to restore him gently, but also to watch yourself so you might also not be tempted. Because spiritual authority is not about lording it over one another. Spiritual authority is about taking a journey together. But knowing that you have someone both to answer to and someone who will speak to you on behalf of the God who loves you. Okay, we talked about it. Now here's what I want to do. It can be really awkward doing it. But we're a fellowship of faith, so of course we're going to. Now, there is this, this classic liturgy not just in the Lutheran church, it transcends many. And, and, and those of you who have grown up in, in these kinds of backgrounds, you might be familiar with it. There's this confession that's often said in, in many churches. And it goes like this. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. It feels a little like lawyerish, doesn't it? Like no loopholes will remain. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. It goes on from there, and it says this, But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. At which point a priest or a pastor or someone else will typically come up and say something like this, as a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and we got to get the, you know, full body motion, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But what is it like to say this to each other? What is it like, instead of closing your eyes and bowing your head, and confessing to God in this kind of way, to take words like this and say it to another, knowing that they are there as a representative of Christ, knowing that they are his ambassador, knowing that if you are in church community with them, they have been sent by God to exercise spiritual authority with you. And to have someone like that look you in the eye 
and simply say on behalf of Christ, as one speaking in his name, your sins are forgiven. I don't know what's scarier, confessing it to someone or saying it on the back end. How about you? But guys, hear me today. I cannot encourage you enough to begin practicing your spiritual life this way. Because if you do it and you do it consistently, God is going to breathe something into you that I think many of you have felt lacking for such a long time. And maybe it begins at home with your spouse. Maybe it's that person who's the love of your life, who you look to and you say these, and not coming to say, honey, I messed up. I'm not talking about that with you. I've sinned against God in a thousand different ways, and maybe only three of them include you. But to hear this person who's the love of your life be the spokesman of God in your life saying, sweetie, listen to what Jesus has to say. Your sins are forgiven. What is it like with your kids? What is it like to get on your knees with your 10-year-old and say, though I am called as a father or mother over you, you are an ambassador of Christ too. And to confess your sins and please in appropriate ways with your children, to confess your sins and have your teenage kid say, Dad, Mom, Jesus wants you to know something and I've been sent to tell you. Your sins are forgiven. Or do you have that friend? That friend you can trust because maybe your spouse isn't in the same place. Maybe you're not married. But that friend, that confidant who gets things in the Lord would be willing to commit and walk alongside you in this way as you might walk alongside them. The applications of this are endless and multiple. But regardless, it's what God calls us to. And I think as a people, when we embrace this, God will suddenly start having something very powerful to say. So in the spirit of awkwardness, but learning what it means to live the text and not just read the text. We're going to practice briefly here today. Now, for the nine of you having like a coronary hiding in the back, I'm not going to break you into one-on-one -on -one to go find a private place in the church, all right? So let's let the collective side go out on that, all right? But here is what we're going to do today. We're going to rise, and I'm going to invite just this, this congregation to face each other. So at some point, we're all going to be looking at the middle aisle. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of do a, well, I don't know a better way of saying this, so we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you, confession absolution thing right here at Fellowship of Faith. What we're going to do is we're going to start with one side, and we're going to confess our sins to God, but to his ambassador who's standing right before us. Not because there's something so special or holy on the other side any more than anyone else in this room, but because they're ambassadors sent by Jesus Christ to bring a word from him to you. And after that side confesses, the other side is going to look him. And right in the eye, dude, all right? All right you know, none of this, none of that. <laughs> Fix on someone in the eye. Make him feel weird. <laughs> because there's something powerful in that. Because Jesus doesn't hide his eyes from you. So neither should you.
actually speak the words of Christ to someone here today and make it personal and let them know in simple terms your sins are forgiven are, are you with me does this make sense okay let's rise What I want to invite you to do is turn, and you're doing it, all right, and look at each other today. Now I'm going to put the, the words on the screen, so you can sneak eye here if you have to, all right? If you haven't memorized, great. If you got to kind of memorize, just make it up, all right? You're getting the gist of this. But let's speak the words today, and we're going to start over here, confessing first, all right? We're going to look at these people here today. Now you know your role, right? You know what God commands you to do. If someone confesses their sin and is repentant, God says they're forgiven, right? So you can't get here and go, I don't like you. <laughs> you know, no, 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 don't leave me hanging that way. That's a miserable place to be. All right, so you know what to do at your turn, right? All right. All right, deep breaths. Loosen up. But I invite you, let's confess our sins here today. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. That was weak. Do that again. <laughs> Are you ready? See, I'm really bad, so I have to say it twice. <laughs> we know what to do. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. You have a seat. I don't know what the experience is like for you, doing it in this kind of way. Maybe it's the first time doing something like that. Maybe there's still awkwardness. Maybe, quite honestly, the size of the room and the, 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 the sense of anonymity that happens in, in a group this size shields it from becoming real in, in, in even deeper and more personal ways. 
But I want to just kind of debrief a couple things about it today. What does it mean to have someone physically present in your life who acts as the voice of Christ? What does it mean to have someone physically present in your life to call you to repentance and to speak words of forgiveness? What is it like to see Christ in a member of his body? To look at each other, not just the same people who are coming to do the same stuff on Sunday. But to say, in a way, that's Jesus sitting there. And he's speaking to me. My prayer for you today is that you embrace that and that you practice that. And that you find that person today. Would you pray with me? Lord, God, here we are. And we know your call to repentance. We know what you say about sin. We've come to know your grace, your limitless forgiveness, and your call to righteousness. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, we pray. For all the ways that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Whether it was done or left undone. Simply, God, forgive us. But God, take our guilt away. Because guilt, God, oh, it likes to hold us. And sometimes, God, I think we so desperately just need to hear the words someone has on your behalf to say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, to hear you say, I forgive you. God, may we walk in that grace today. Pray that each person here, God, takes what we've talked about and finds that person today. Takes that leap, even if it's into an awkward unknown. Guide them. Help them. We want to be the people you've called us to be. Breathe into our body and into our relationships that spiritual authority and accountability. God, we pray. Amen.